Awesome, it's great to see everybody this morning. Hello, hope you're well. Um, if you're new with us or uh, recently new, my name is David, and I'm one of the, the leaders here in Redeemer. And uh, it's my privilege just to be able to get a little bit of time with you this morning, just to share. Um, hopefully, it's beneficial. Um, as you know, actually, before we dive in, a couple of, uh, just before Christmas, we uh, as a community advertised a couple of jobs, and actually, in recent weeks, appointed um, an admin, office, and venue manager, which is great, in the form of Mike New, who's not here this morning, because he's away, on leave already. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. He's quit. He's had enough already. No, he hasn't. He's done an excellent job. He's... Um, had prior commitments, and um, but it's been an absolute joy to be, begin working with him, and he's really begun to serve our community really well. And so, just this week, we've actually been interviewing for the other job, which is the associate pastor job. So we're still in that process, but I just wanted to update you with that and let you know that that's actually still ongoing. That we had some interviews this week; they went really well, and we're continuing just to seek what. Um, the way forward is for us and maybe someone who might actually be able to fulfill that role of an associate pastor here. So please do continue to pray. Let me encourage you to pray. There will be um, more information as we go along, I'm sure. Um, We'll keep you updated about that, but it's great. So today, excuse me, we're going to continue our series, Holy Habits, which is this series we started just at the beginning of this year. And it's really just a series that's looking at these key practices that help us become more like Jesus. Simple as that. These are key practices to help us become more like Jesus. And so we started the series with the goal of helping us to grow because and mature, I guess, spiritually, in a sense, because the primary role of the church community is to make disciples. That's what we're about. That's what we um, believe here in Redeemer, that we're about becoming, we're, we're always in motion as people, we're becoming, and we can become like the one we follow. And so transformation, change, growth is all, always possible. And so this series is an invitation, I guess, to me, to all of us, to go on this journey to consider what God might be saying to us, what God might be saying to you this morning about, about your life and about what maybe might be able to change. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, really influential Christian in the 20th century, he said that Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. That this idea of apprenticing, apprenticeship, following Jesus is right at the very heart of what it actually means to practice Christianity, to be a Christian, to become more like Jesus. So for us here in Redeemer, the integrated, healthy disciple is a person who looks like Jesus, It goes without saying in one sense, but we become like Jesus in his very nature. And St. Paul, in his his letter to the Galatians, chapter 419, he says that we're to have Christ formed in us, that our whole being is shaped around him, head, heart, and hands, the way we think, feel, and act, the way we love God with all our mind, or with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's this holistic posturing, toward God, being shaped by him. And he also gets at this idea that that Christ is to be born in us so that we express the character of Jesus, the goodness of him in our whole being. And this is expressed really well by John Orberg. He says, 
In Christ, we are pregnant with possibilities of spiritual growth and moral beauty so great that they cannot be described as anything less than the formation of Christ in our very lives. And so this series is a call to this holistic and integrated, I guess, redemptive life. And it's a, as we go on this journey, as we, as we walk this road, we're participating in this renovation of the heart, this renovation of, this, of our broken and tainted humanity back into the full color, technicolor humanity that we were created to walk in. We were created to be icons of God, the Imago Dei. We were to image the divine in creation. We were not created to be some unruly beasts of the land, but we were actually created by the great I am, by God, to be like little gods on this earth. And this walking, this road of discipleship, is a renovation and a redemption in the way of Jesus that leads us back to being that, to that transformation. Paul, in, the, in, the, in this letter to the Romans, he, he calls followers of Jesus to be transformed by the renewal of their minds. And so, as we become more like Jesus, we actually become more human. We become more fully human as we walk this road of becoming. And in order to do that, along this road, we're invited into these things called habits, habits or practices that will actually help us in that journey of transformation. That's what this series is all about. So these practices that we've been talking through every week, these are based on ancient wisdom from the church, from tradition, from scripture, lifted from the life of Jesus or based on his teachings. You can think of them as spiritual tools, that they're concrete, practical, real, concrete ways of having Christ formed in you if we submit ourselves to them, if we practice them. And that actually leads to this deep transformation. So the, the, the way that we sum this up philosophically, this beautiful quote by Richard Rohr says that we, we, do not think of, we do not think ourselves into new ways of living, but we live ourselves into new ways of thinking. That this discipleship is a fully embodied practicing, doing, acting in the world. And it changes our very beings. So, so far we've looked at three practices, I think. I think I looked at the practice of faith and seeking, the seeking, the looking up to God. Uh, Stephanie brought a beautiful um, teaching on the practice of gratitude and thanksgiving, being thankful for all of life. Last week, Ryan excellently taught us on this really countercultural ancient practice of Sabbath and rest and entering into the rhythm of creation. And, and today we're going to look at this next practice. And it's actually the practice of service or servanthood. So let's dive in. Um, it's a, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word service or servanthood. It's a strange term in that sense, servanthood. Um, different images might spring to mind. You might think of like Old Testament kings with, or even other ancient texts where the kings would have maidservants or handmaids or um, something like a Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? That sort of feel. That's why, that's, that might be what comes to mind when you think of that word. Um, 
the word servant is actually an old, it's an older English word for, for the term of the domestic worker. So perhaps what comes to your mind is the seemingly more civilized and well-developed culture of masters and servants that you see, you know, in, in Victorian area in Britain, this really well-developed culture of, of the servants in the house, you know, like Downton Abbey, basically, you know, that sort of vibe. Um, this form of domestic service in the, in the employer's residence was something just referred to as service. And it was part of this hierarchical system, I guess, um, and maybe, maybe what comes to mind, though, for you is a much worse and more extreme form of, in a sense, slavery or institution. Maybe that's what comes to your mind when I say the word service or servant. That this, the institutionalization of, of, of slavery, something, thankfully, that was abolished in the UK in the early 1800s, but is a tale as old as time, and, and unfortunately, a real dehumanization, um, a forceful and institutionalized slavery and oppression. Maybe that's what comes to your mind today. And of course we know that even though slavery was abolished in the 1800s, it's still very much alive and present today. Even though it's been outlawed and made illegal, it's as rampant as ever, unfortunately. There is much work to be done. But anyway, whatever you think of, perhaps you're always thinking of the negative connotation of the word servant or servanthood. But there is, in our modern era, there is, in our modern day, some term, it's still in the language. You know, we think of, you know, imagine we think of things like, in society, how how society refers to politicians. We think of them as public servants. So it's a a positive use of that word that we use very regularly. Someone who serves the needs and interests of the electorate, the people. And so the, the language of servant or service is not at all alien. And it has, it holds lots of meaning for us today. So as we look today, it's going to be helpful to consider what this actually means when we think about discipleship. What, is it, what are we talking about, the practice of servanthood? What is that? When I came to reflect on this this week, I actually really began to see um, something that Jesus modeled, really. And it led me to this bigger idea of surrender. It actually led me to think more about this posture of the heart that we as followers of Jesus have, Um, a posture of surrender. So we're going to look at that now. Our lives are not our own. So this posture, um, I want to just read Psalm 123. It hopefully will come up on the screen. Um, It says this, So to you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. So here's the psalm, the song of the people of Israel in Psalm 123. This is a, a song that's expressing something of the relationship between Yahweh and his people. And it shows this posture that I'm talking about, this, this posture of, of looking up. I'd love Ian to play a wee bit of a, a song for us right now. And I want you to tell me what, what it's from or what, if you recognize it. Go ahead, Darren.
Les Miserables. Les Miserables. So, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I can't remember. I've lost, I think it was two weeks ago. Um, no, it wasn't, it was last week. Wasn't it last week? It was last week. <laughs> I've lost track of time. I went to see Les Miserables for the first time in the West End, and it was brilliant. And they played this song, and I can't get it out of my head, even though it's like the most depressing song in the whole, uh, uh, the whole thing. It's the one that I gravitate toward that might tell you something about my melancholic disposition. But the, 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 the lyrics are, look down, look down, don't look them in the eye. This is, um, this is obviously a song that is depicting the plight of the working poor in, in France, in Paris, under the oppressive rule of law and... Um, I've been thinking about this because they were obviously being, uh, this was an oppressed people working for the elite and for the law. And I was thinking about this forceful slavery in contrast with this song that we just read in Psalm 123, which talks not about looking down, but a completely different posture of, of looking up in the light to their master, to Yahweh, to their creator, God, they look up to him in delight. And in a sense, that's the posture that we as followers of Jesus are to take, posture in our hearts of looking up to the one that we follow, the one who is our creator, the one who is other than us. And the moment that we look up to God is the moment that we adopt a posture of servanthood because we recognize that we're not our own. We recognize that we belong to the one who made us and is for us, and we humble ourselves before him. The posture of humility and surrender is the beginning of, I guess, this term repentance, this doing of a 180 in our minds and in our ways, and beginning to walk with God. And without this posturing of the heart, without this willingness, this openness, this looking up, we cannot say, speak, Lord, thy servant is listening. So when we look up, what do we actually see? Well, I want to just keep going here. I want to talk about the posture of servanthood and the nature of Jesus. That's the first point this morning, the posture of servanthood and the nature of Jesus. When we look up, what do we see? Servanthood is this posture for us to adopt because it firstly describes God himself and his very nature. God the Father sending Christ, not just to show us how to perform acts of service, but he came to show us his nature. He is a self-giving, servant-hearted pouring out of himself in humility, God, that we follow. And this is why we talk about Jesus so much in this community, because we, when we see Jesus, we see the divine, we see our creator, we see a picture, an image of God. In Colossians 2, it says that in Christ, all the fullness of the, of the deity lived in bodily form. So when we look to Jesus, we see the picture of what our God looks like, his nature, his goodness, his posture, his heart, his love, that is God when we look to Jesus. And that's why we talk about Jesus so much in this community. We are a Jesus community. And so this idea of divine servanthood 
um, is profoundly revealed in Philippians. I want, to, I want this passage to come up because this is a passage we're going to sit in for a wee moment. This portion of scripture in Philippians um, is regarded by biblical scholars, Philippians 2, um, as one of the oldest confessions of the church, one of the oldest things that the church wrote down and confessed. It's a song, again, another song or a hymn, most probably, and it reveals this idea profoundly. I'm just going to read it to you. So it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. And so, the humility, the humility of Christ here is shown by him taking on the very nature of a servant. The, the creator, the son of God, the word, the logos, the Christ becoming human and taking on the posture of a servant to serve us. But we shouldn't uh, really read this. So you can read this in one way. You can read this in this way. That Christ did this in spite of being God because he, he, he took on the very nature. Even though he was God, he decided to take on this nature. Instead, we need to read this passage as a causation that's actually being illustrated. Gerald Hawthorne says that Christ, precisely because he was in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be the grounds of grasping, but poured himself out. So it's not that he set aside this divine nature and took on the nature of a servant, but actually he's revealing the very nature of God as a God who is self-giving, humble, and pours himself out. And we see that in Christ. It's not some sort of disguise. This is more a revelation of who God is. And here we see God as a giving God, giving beyond himself, the infinite servant, self-giving love, a revelation of God. So when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. And so when we take on this posture of humility like Jesus, and we do things that are in the nature of Jesus, that's when we're becoming more like him and we're being formed in his likeness. So servanthood, is a, it's a posture of the heart, a humbling, a humility, a posturing of the heart to be self-giving. I suppose in the era of the selfie, from attention-seeking celebrities to digital oversharing and the boom in cosmetic surgery, a growth in obsession and narcissistic behavior is all around us, you could say. Um, I don't think I have to point out the egos of people we know in the public eye, even certain world leaders, because they <clears throat> speak for themselves. But this is really not the way of Jesus. Um, the servant nature of Jesus and the call for us to serve others stands in stark contrast to this dominant cultural narrative of just looking after number one. And pride is this 
ugly posture, really, that it affects us all, though. It's not just others. It affects us, if we're being honest. There's actually a really funny story about Muhammad Ali. So Muhammad Ali's on, on, this, on a plane, and he's, he's refu- he, you know, Muhammad Ali knew what humility was all about, obviously. I am the greatest. Um, isn't like a Jews, Amory knew. I am the special one. Um, Muhammad Ali's on this plane, and he refuses to fasten his seatbelt. And after repeated requests by the flight attendant to buckle up, Ali finally says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant replied, Superman don't need no plane. (laughs) Which is so good. Because, um, yeah, humility, it's just a hard thing to come by for all of us. Sometimes we, we tend to be able to see it in others, but it's often something that we carry in the deepest parts of us, this pride, sorry, pride. And John Orberg says that humility, the opposite of pride in a sense, this posturing of servanthood, is it involves like a Copernican revolution of the soul, the realization that the universe just does not revolve around you. And so the deepest level pride is this choice to exclude God and others from the rightful place in our hearts. It's actually like a violation essentially of of, you know, that greatest commandment that Jesus said to love God and love people? It actually destroys our capacity to love. And all too easily, we can point the finger at others. We can laugh at Muhammad Ali or <clears throat> some more serious um, cases of deep pride in people's lives, people that we perhaps know, but often it is in us that we can identify pride, this sense of self-importance or selfishness or laziness that whatever it might be, in place of this pride, Jesus invites us to be like him, to be like the nature of God himself, to, to give ourselves for others, a life of humility. All who humble themselves will be exalted. And so humility is this freedom to stop trying to be who we are not, stop pretending to be what we're not, and actually accepting an appropriate smallness and letting God be God. It involves a healthy self-forgetfulness enabled by the Holy Spirit. And it starts at home. It starts with us. Um, It starts with us when we look to Jesus equipped by the Spirit. So that's the posture of servanthood and the very nature of, of Jesus. I want to talk about servanthood, though, as a practice. This is my second point this morning, which is the practice of servanthood and the example of Jesus, because it doesn't just stop there as posture, but Jesus actually goes on to live a life, demonstrating a, a life of service to the world and to others. And so it's a practice from from the posture we're led to the practice. If the posture of servanthood was something we see in Jesus' nature, then the practice of servanthood, the actual practice of servanthood is something we see in his example as he modeled it out, a life of servanthood before his disciples. And it was, it was around the table at Passover that he called his disciples, he was explicit about this, he called his disciples to this way of service. This is the way I want you to walk. In John 13, we see the, we see the, let me just read it actually. John 13, hopefully it'll come up on the screen. I'll read it very quickly. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and master, and you're right for I am. If I then, your Lord and master, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than any than the one who sent him. So here we have this picture of the disciples gathered around the table for supper, the Passover. Now remember, these are the disciples that had, had at one point in Jesus' journey had argued about which of them was the greatest among them. Do you remember that? And of course, around this table was Judas who would betray Jesus and Peter who would deny Jesus. And there they are sitting at the table, feet caked in dirt, probably expecting someone to come to perform the duty of washing their feet when Jesus lifted a towel to wash their feet and at the same time redefined greatness. Jesus lifted a towel to wash their feet and at the same time redefined greatness. It's actually in Matthew 20 that Jesus reminds the disciples and us today that he being the son of man came not to serve, sorry, came not to be served, but to serve. And he goes on to illustrate what would become his greatest act of service in the giving of himself as a ransom for many. Matthew 20 says this, But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we see the practice, the example of Jesus as a life of being a servant, the servant king. On the cross, Christ demonstrated this paradox of the kingdom of God, that he, the king who'd come to take his crown, a crown of thorns was ultimately a servant king, so unlike the worldly structures of kings and empires, games of thrones. There's a quote by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he says this. Learn the lesson that if you're to do the work of a servant, what you, what you want is not a scepter but a hoe. 
Billy Graham said that the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. So the third point I wanted to share this morning, we have this posture of servanthood that is seen in the nature of Jesus. We have this practice of servanthood that is seen in the example of Jesus. We have this invitation of servanthood and the freedom of Jesus. And that's the invitation that we're gonna consider this morning. That is the invitation that we're invited into. The narrative of our culture today is to look after number one, The culture of the kingdom is the opposite. It's to posture ourselves to the practice of others. And it's not a glamorous road. It's in service that we experience many little deaths that go beyond ourselves. The deaths of going beyond ourselves. In a sense, it's not as much heroic as it is like a banishment to the ministry of the mundane. And I say that in a positive way. The ministry of the ordinary the liturgy of the ordinary, the everyday sacrificial love and surrender. And yet the paradox of this posture and this practice of servanthood is that it's not enforced and it's not one of misery, but it is one of liberty and freedom. In the truest sense, the call to service is not one forced upon any of us. It's like a tyrannical slave master would force that upon us, just like we see in the story of Les Mis or many other stories of the oppressor and the oppressed. That is not the story or the walk of the Christian life, but the call to service is this life that is pierced with meaning. It's an invitation to look up and look beyond ourselves to the example of Jesus, his way and his kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom that the first will be last and the last will be first, and yet it's not restrictive, but it it delivers real freedom to us. It delivers a flourishing humanity that helps us carry one another's burdens and ultimately serve the good of the whole community. But God doesn't just stop at the ministry of the mundane and the ordinary, as beautiful and profound as it is, to adopt that appropriate smallness, to practice acts of service in hiddenness that no one sees when no one is looking. But God actually infuses each of us as well with the ministry of vocation too. We get to give ourselves all of it, the ordinary and the extraordinary. The beautiful reality is that when we give of ourselves in this selfless way, we don't hide our light, but we begin to share ourselves, our gifts, with the world and we begin to live out of our true vocation. So the question to you today is what what do you have to offer? What do you have to give to this world, to your family, to this community, to this church community, to this city? You have time, giving of your time, your love, your attention, your money, your gifts, your passions, your talents, your very presence. If you're not living your life from a posture of heart, of servanthood, you're hiding so much of yourself from the rest of us and from this world. You have so much to offer. Don't settle for less. 
Don't settle for just living for yourself. Don't hide all of that from the world, but give of yourself as God is a God he gives. Pour yourself out, not just to meet your own needs or fulfill your own sense of importance, but give of yourself in a way that blesses others, that elevates them, that rehumanizes them, that helps them. The deepest sense of service is living out of your true self for the good of the world, living out your true calling. Frederick uh, Buchner says this, vocation is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. God wants you to, he wants to use you. The, the divine wants to, part, uh, he wants to partner with us like a, a co-participation. Um, and in this community, not just in the church. This is not a call to sign up to the serving teams on Redeemer. This is a call to a life of service. This is a call to a ministry of the mundane and a ministry of your vocation. This is a call to the ministry of the teapot and the listening ear as much as it is to the writing and the painting and the administrating and the creating and the entrepreneurial gifts in this room, all of that. It's a mixture of it all. God wants you to bring all of yourself to the table and give of yourself. And so in finishing, I just thought, you know, what I, I'd love to just point out some examples of what this might look like. But as I did that, I thought, you know what, I'm going to write this in the, ter- in the form of a manifesto um, as a way just to communicate what that might look like for us as a community. So I've written some stuff. It's not exhaustive, but it's not the last word, but it's just some of my thoughts. But what I think it looks like for us as a community to live out of this posture of surrender, looking up, giving of ourselves totally, not to a, a God who demands it or forces himself, forces us to serve him, but who invites us to bring all of ourselves, to become like Jesus, the very nature of Jesus, and to give ourselves in service to the world. So this is the manifesto. I'd love to put it up on the screen, and I'm just going to read it. Um, Let's stand, actually. Why don't we just stand? Change posture. What time have we got? Here we go. Creation care. We were made to collaborate with our maker in the caring for all creation. We recognize the sacredness of all creation and we tend to it in love and humility. We bring our God-given skills to sustain order and push back chaos. The sacredness of work. We recognize the sacredness of our work and use the capacities of our minds and bodies to serve others with our talents and our skills according to the needs of the place that we find ourselves. The shallow futility of me, myself, and I. I am not God. I am not the center of the universe. I need others, and they need me too. If all I look out for is myself, then all that I will be left with is myself. I am made for more, to give of myself, to reveal of myself the mysteries of my personhood for the betterment of humanity, to shine forth my light for the uplifting of others, for the selfless refusal to hide and keep to myself. 
the gift of limits. We're human and we can't do everything. We recognize that every opportunity is not a calling and every need is not a demand. We can say no and we should learn to say no. We submit to our own God-given limitations. Our time and our energy is not infinite. Sleep is important and we need to rest. We should tend to the gardens of our own souls first before we try to help others with theirs. And in doing so, we learn to trust God with all the infinite needs around us, knowing only he can truly rescue, redeem, and make right. The ministry of the ordinary. We see life riddled with the mundane and a thousand opportunities to humbly submit ourselves to the holiness of the daily repetitive and necessary activities that make up life. We are not above these or attempting to escape them, but to discover God's presence in them. Stewarding our vocational calling, we do our work with dignity and integrity to provide income and fulfill our true vocation in ways that promote equality, sustainability, and justice in our world. Like Frederick Buchner, we see our vocation as the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Serving our communities and families. We see, we give ourselves to the needs of our families and our community. We don't treat church as a product to consume or something to serve us, but a community to participate in, bring our talents, passions, time, and money to help making the community better. We commit to praying for and caring for one another and to the holy task of carrying each other's burdens. Let there not be any among us with need. Serving the other, the forgotten, and the marginalized as the season of life allows, we prioritize our schedules to serving one another, to serving the poor, forgotten, and the marginalized. We follow the example of Jesus to see beyond cultural labels, the status quo, or who's who, and we practice presence among those excluded or sidelined, the outcasts, and the ones that society has no room for. We serve the other, the Samaritan, our neighbor. I'd love to invite the band up if we're going to lead us in, in a song to finish. And we're going to break bread around the table, which is a, a meal that we've already talked about this morning that just captures in so many ways the servant nature of Christ, the one we follow, the one who we posture ourselves towards. And just as the, the guys are getting ready, I just wanted to read this beautiful um, I think it's a song, essentially, this piece of writing from St. Francis of Assisi that just finishes off all that we've shared this morning. It's a prayer that we can make our own today. I'd love you to pray it with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. 
and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Please come break bread and wine together and let's celebrate Christ as we finish in song. Thanks, Colin.